You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. I'm Jay Mack. Welcome to the show. I'm in my bunker in St. Louis, joined by... Hey, this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles. And through the miracle of technology we are doing a cross-country podcast two tape decks and a mixing board available every wednesday on soundcloud google play spotify and itunes everywhere quality podcasts are found and i'm telling you google two tape decks and a mixing board i guarantee you we're on other platforms because i've i've googled other podcasts i've been on it they're all i mean there's all kinds of podcast venues or like i guess portals out there that I didn't know about. So if you are really interested in getting the show, you will find it. And I got to tell you, this is probably the best investment of your time you're going to make all week long. It's the best investment of my time, other than parenting and being a husband. Uh, pod, pod, podcasting comes in a close third on those two. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an endorsement, J-Mac. I, I, I would agree with that. Look us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash two tape decks. And I believe it's two tape decks at gmail.com. We love getting feedback, messages, anything that's on your mind. We promise we will read it. I will even go so far as to say I promise I will. we will respond to it, which is more than you're going to get from most podcasts. Would you not agree, Mr. Sam Wade? Well, I think that uh, that's probably a fair assumption. <laughs> They're never going to respond because they got too many coming in. So right now we're available, right? <laughs> Get us while we're available because we may blow up. I think we are going to blow up. And then it's going to be like, it's going to be like the Jenna Fisher podcast or whatever. Like I emailed her, told her I loved her. Nothing, nothing. Wait, what was this message? It's, it's for Jenna's ears only. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, well, I I'm, was, I'm I was sure like, I'm a, her and Angela Kinsey do a pod. She was Angela on The Office. They do a oh, podcast right. together called The Office Ladies. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Angela. I, I'm a big fan of Jenna Fisher, not as much of Angela, but I like their show. I like, I love The Office. And I emailed Jenna saying that I was a stay at home dad with PD and I was, I love the show. And I mentioned something about having one of her pictures on my wallpaper and my lady said, she's never going to email, email you back. And she never did. <laughs> well, you know, maybe she hasn't gotten to that message yet. I'm sure she she gets a lot of fan mail. This, um, that's, that's pretty cool though, because you know, she's a fellow St. Louis and just like us, right. She came from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got an incredible show. You actually came up with the topic this week and I must say, bravo, sir. Bravo. Well done, sir. <laughs> well done. All right. You want to introduce it? Well, I just figured that we could spend some time just kind of chatting about um, our favorite music uh, in scenes from films and uh, TV and then talk about like why the music was effective there. Just thought, you know, I think everybody could have different uh, things that they recall um, that of how the music influenced the way that they viewed it, you know, the way that it sounded. And, you know, it just might be kind of fun to just kind of chat about that for a while. I'm a big fan of music and films. I'm one of those people that if I really like a movie, I'll buy the soundtrack. I don't know if, if you're the same way. Yeah, no, I totally am. There's a lot of soundtracks I have on my record shelf, and it's something that uh, has influenced me for a long time. I got to say, I don't always go out and buy it, but if it's something I really, really love, I used to try and track it down. Well, the, the first movie, just to start this off, I'm not going to include this on any of my lists, 
because it's everybody would say this, but the 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 music that really hooked me into film score was Star Wars, Star Wars and Jurassic Park. I'm a big John Williams guy. I love his epic string arrangements and everything he does. But Star Wars and Star Wars, from my memory, is one of the first movies that, at least in modern times, actually used the full orchestra. I think previous to that in the seventies, they were there was like soundtracks and things like that. But George Lucas and John Williams kind of single handedly brought back the epic film score. I guess you'd have to go back to the fifties and forties and to really yeah. tap into the, what they were doing there. I think that's totally fair. I mean, that was the thing that, like, when I was young, I mean, you're talking about, like, a legend, a, a, a behemoth, a, a monolith of music composing. You're talking about, you know, John Williams, who's, like, done soundtracks for some of the greatest films that have uh, been out in the last, you know, 50 years. Um, my dad would tell me that story uh, about, you know, how before Star Wars, um, a lot of films were into these, like, uh, you know, lower cost uh, electronic scores, um, which some of those actually are pretty cool. We'll we'll talk about maybe some of those uh, in this podcast. But it was kind of the standard to kind of just have this, this, they didn't spend a lot of money on the scores. One of the things they did with that film was to bring back the big epic score. You know, it makes me think of, you know, when you're talking about stuff in the 60s and 70s, you might be talking about like in the 50s, like Bernard Herrmann scores, like the stuff he did for Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, you know, it brought back to this, this same kind of grand, like full orchestra sound of Star Wars and it just kind of took people by surprise. Did I don't you- know that it was the first one to do it again, but it definitely was the one that like entered into the zeitgeist again. Absolutely. So I'm going to drop on you my, we kind of made some lists here. I'm going to drop on you my first one. I'm going to start, we're just going to start with sort of movie or TV film scores, and then we may expand from there. But when I think of a of a song or a soundtrack, it instantly transports me to the world that I'm watching. The X-Files soundtrack is hands down. Uh-huh. It sounds like aliens. It sounds like aliens coming to get you. I mean, and I think, let me see, Mark Snow, I believe, did the music for the show. I think he I think he wrote the soundtrack, too. I'd have to look it up. I'm, I'm almost positive he wrote the soundtrack. And for anybody who's ever watched The X-Files, it's kind of late 80s, early 90s keyboard synth stuff. But it really nails the era. It really nails the era. And, I, like, the minute I hear Mark Snow's keyboards, I know what I'm listening to. And I feel like aliens are looking at me. <laughs> I think you're actually onto something there, man. Like it's definitely creates like this atmosphere that like makes, you know, what you're seeing on screen all the more creepy. And just the, just the opening title music is just, it's kind of unsettling. Like all these little weird dancing melodies floating in and out with like delays and reverbs on it. Right. And you don't even need to see the opening credits, which are creepy enough to be creeped out by the music. That's the thing. The music can exist and conjure up these images independent of the of the visuals i totally agree with that it makes me think of another show at that time period that had like a similar score that was just as effective that was kind of outside the box and the norm and that's um uh angelo baldamati i think is how you twin peaks yeah the way the score that he wrote for twin peaks 
just that, this really dreamy kind of weird synthy stuff. It's like it's kind of that that same era as as uh, X Files. No, I would definitely say I think the X Files actually borrowed some of its vibe from Twin Peaks. But yeah, I can't pronounce his last name, but I I, I know what, what you're talking about. It's like yeah, it's dreamy synth. It kind of feels like not quite real and almost like drifting through a dream. It's pretty it's pretty cool stuff. And I, I think Mark Snow probably borrowed from that or at least was influenced by it. So so give yeah, me it's like it's uh, Angelo Bald Baldomenti. Yeah. So so give me so <laughs> I, I feel terrible. <laughs> sorry Angelo. So give me give yeah, me some funny. give me some film score or T V soundtrack that you really that really rings your bell. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, if, if we're talking about iconic things, you know, obviously you dropped uh, star Wars, you know, we could talk about some of the, the really iconic sounds of, you know, I think of like jaws or like in the, uh, the one of uh, the Raiders March for like Indiana Jones um, or like close encounters of the third kind. Like, again, a lot of John Williams yeah. stuff. But I think one of the things that like really stands out, um, actually a John Williams piece that maybe uh, might be a little bit more of a deep cut that I used to think about a lot was uh, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's a scene um, where Indiana and his father escape on a motorcycle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Great scene. Yeah, that that music is, it's pretty, I don't want to say metal, because it, but it really gets you going. It really gets your heart rate up. It's creative. It's got humor in it. I really love that music. Well, and it's like, it's totally different than the rest of the soundtrack too. Like it's, it's called Shazero for motorcycle and orchestra is the title of the, of the piece. And it has like this kind of a romping thing. It's like, right. And it has like this, this cool, like rhythm to it, which kind of uh, correlates with the action on screen of like these motorcycles shifting in and out and, and like racing each other. And like the guy like raising, doing a wheelie and bringing his, his like motorcycle wheel on the back of like their like sidecar. And he's like grabbing it, you know, and then the motorcycles exploding and spinning in the air it's like this contrast of that with this music where it's just kind of like barreling forward i always thought that that was really unique and i would actually um i remember going to the library and finding that album on cd oh, so wow recorded on tape deck so i could listen to it over and over and over again i listened to that probably hundreds of times when i was a kid <laughs> it's great music i mean you can't go wrong with john williams he is probably he's got to be the premier film score of his era well, and, and you can his stuff is instantly recognizable. Yeah. I mean, there's other guys that are just as impactful in their score writing. Um, now, you, you know, I think of people like Hans Zimmer and Danny Elfman, which will probably get into some of their stuff. You know, these these guys that are just like these go to guys to make this amazing soundtrack. Um, but I always thought it was cool in there on, on those scores, like the stuff that kind of stood out that, that was a little bit different, you know. Like there's a track on that Last Crusade one too. I think it's called the uh, Aw Rats when they see the rats down in the sewer. Oh, that starts yeah, off it's these, creepy. Yeah, and the music starts off with like these this really weird like bendy, slidey string sound. Like they're dragging the bow across the strings and kind of descending down. Like just the the terror of seeing all these rats. I always thought that was pretty sweet as well. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna drop another one on you. This is a guy that. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming he's done other. Th- I know he's done other things. I'll, I'll just say that. But I know him best, and I'm talking about Howard Shore from Lord of the Rings and the music that he oh, wrote yeah. for the Shire. Not any yep. one particular motif, but just the entire. If you watched either the the DVD or the Blu-ray or the ex- especially the extended edition of of the Fellowship of the Ring, just instantly transports you to this fantasy world of hobbits and i can i can put, i can put on that music and i'm i'm seeing all the images in the from the movie it's amazing you know there are some really incredible themes in that score too and i'm glad you brought him up because he would definitely him along with guys like michael Kamen, are these other guys that are these these monoliths of score tracks james horner you know these these guys have just done so many different things john barry you know what i mean yeah. To example, just being able to take these themes and kind of build them. That, that's a really good point. Well, and the thing about Howard Shore, you know, Howard Shore did the score to, to Kevin Smith's movie Dogma. No kidding. That is such a great film. <laughs> it's and, so outside the box. In fact, I believe if you listen to the end, you know, where Ben Affleck and, and uh, Matt Damon are the angels and they're coming to the church and trying to wreak havoc. There yeah. are, there are, fleeting glimpses of the fellowship of the ring in that soundtrack listen to it i dare you and the, and who turned me on to it was kevin smith actually said in one of his podcasts he's a podcast godfather he said he goes i was listening to dogma after watching lord of the rings i'm like holy crap it sounds like some of the stuff he used for my movie and it's not, i mean it's obviously not plagiarizing but there's some very very similar structures so that was kind. Of, I I had no idea Howard Shore did Kevin Smith movies. I think that was probably high budget for Kevin Smith. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool that he did that. I didn't realize that that was um, his his music in that film. It definitely suits it because it's such a fantasy film in itself. You know, even though it's rooted in kind of this you know realistic like here in America kind of a deal. That it's probably a really good fit. See, we're even learning from each other on this show. That's what I, was, I feel like you're <laughs> going to be. I feel like you're going to be a smarter person, at least more, musically, if you listen to two <laughs> tape decks. I really feel that. I'm not just not just blowing smoke. So, can you name another uh, film score or piece of music from a movie or TV show that really rang your bell, that really took you to where you needed to be to enjoy the, the movie or the film? Yeah, well, you know, there was a scene um, in this film I'm about to bring up that, uh, um, and it's another 90s film. Uh, it's called uh, Un- Un- Unbreakable with Bruce Wilson. Oh, amazing. I think, that's, I think that's M. Night Shyamalan's best film, in my opinion. I totally agree with that. Um, I, it's definitely one of my favorites by him. And there's a scene in there where I, I, I couldn't tell you if it actually has aged well, this music. But at the time that I heard that, when that came out in the late 90s, there was uh, this scene. I, I don't think we're spoiling anything. People have probably seen this film. Anyway, there's a spot where Bruce Willis's character has a, has a revelation. He's standing in like a big train station where there's tons of people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, where he, so, he suddenly sees what's going to happen to some of these people or he like he's getting a read yeah. on them. Yeah, he's like realizing he has these abilities that he didn't know about. So if you haven't seen the film, it's definitely worth a watch, I think. But um, the music kind of takes over and is different from the rest of the film. Suddenly it comes in with like this almost like a like a trip hop kind of a beat in the background. It's it's almost techno. It's kind of it, it switches up. It's not classical yeah. sounding at all. 
like it's it's almost a precursor um to like some of like the the vibe that like trent reznor and atticus finch will bring to their soundtracks now yes. it's like this electronic i don't think it's in that same spot and i don't know i don't actually don't know who wrote the score for that film we should look it up but there's something about the music there in that scene that just took it and elevated it to another spot after i saw that film for the first time it stuck with me. And that was one of the things that I remembered the most is how like the vibe changed and built the drama there in that spot. So I should go and listen to it now and see if it actually is, is, is cool as I remember it. Maybe I shouldn't remember, you know, but I just, you know, I think that it was well written for that scene to kind of build the tension and kind of push things forward in the story. I need to rewatch that movie. Just on a side note, my, I feel like Unbreakable's his best movie. My sentimental favorite is signs and, the Sixth Sense was flawless. I can't argue with that, but I've seen that so many times. It's almost like the easy pick for Shyamalan. It's definitely better than The Happening. Don't <laughs> don't even get me started, dude. Don't even get me started. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to drop on you probably the the most dramatic piece of music related to cinema, and I I feel like it's indelibly tied to the to the images on the screen here. Um, okay. And I'm talking about the baptism scene from The Godfather, where Michael oh. Corleone's kid is being baptized, or being baptized, and there's all those murders going on. And here's the thing: I've I watched that first time I watched that movie. I was working night shift at my old warehouse job, and I'd got The Godfather from the library. And I was like, I'll give it a watch because I, I just recently left church, the church scene. And I was like, I want to be I want to educate myself on other movies. So I got mm-hmm. home at like two o'clock in the morning and thought I'll just pop in the movie expecting to watch 15 minutes of it. Three hours later at five o'clock in the morning, I wanted to wake my lady up in bed and go, you've got to see this last scene. And And what it did was it gave the murders a very ritualistic feel because it was juxtaposed by this religious ceremony, and then behind all that going on was murders, multiple, multiple murders. I think there was four four murders, four or five murders. Incredibly powerful use of music. It builds and builds and builds and just stops. It's breathtaking. Wow. That's pretty cool, dude. Uh, top I, that. Top time. that. I don't know that I can top that. Um, but it does make me think of, like, you know, again, back to these sweeping scores. And I will say one of the things that that stood out to me when I was young is I used to stay up um, when okay let me let me back up so in the in the I think it was the late eighties early nineties the film Lawrence of Arabia was restored from the original negative. I've got that DVD upstairs. Such an amazing film. I mean, it's I think some people um, are hesitant to watch it because there's a lot of space in the film where they just like let the landscape take over and there's long scenes and uh, it's a it's a long film but part of the magic of it is everything is kind of like a feast for the eyes and the ears and one of the things that really plays into that film is the score and it was written by uh i i'm gonna butcher his name as well but it, it it's uh his, his name was maurice jar or jure something like that he was a film composer and me and my dad used to watch this film when it was first released. It was like on two video cassettes, dude. Like when you rented it, oh, it came yeah. on two video cassettes. <laughs> That's how you knew it was a long film. 
and we would stay up late and 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 watch it. And we did this a few times. You know, sometimes I'd fall asleep, but it was the the fact that you had to stay up late and watch this movie. But there was something about this film. It was one of those ones that had at the beginning before the film ever started, there was like maybe like a 10, 12 minute overture of like all the music that would happen. And like, it would hit like on all the themes. And there was something about hearing that with this big, huge music that was just incredible. And then seeing the images of the film that really stuck with me. And the main theme of that was one of the something, like probably one of the only things that I would actually learn how to, you know, taught myself how to play on the piano and then like wrote out the sheet music for it to try and like, write it down <laughs> was was from that score well that's why i feel like the john williams mindset comes from films like that absolutely kind of kind of a throwback to an earlier thing and i really I, th- I think he actually kind of helped to bring back classical scores in films because let's let's be honest it's easier to just throw music or just have some generic thing on there but to actually write a score that's inseparable and almost John Williams writes melodies like like pop songs and he and not pop that's that's too trite but you know what I mean catchy catchy riffs catchy passages and absolutely they're iconic to the films that they're married to well you know and this makes me think of I can't prove this J-Mick but there's a piece of music that if our listeners are interested, I would recommend that they go and look up um, out of all the music that we're talking about. And this is by a Russian composer, Prokofiev. Are you familiar with him? Spell it. <laughs> E-R-O-K-O-F-I-E-V. Sergei Prokofiev. Okay. And he was a composer in like the early 20th century. It was like his heyday, if I'm not mistaken. There's a piece of music by him that I discovered back when I had my very first disc man. And I was like, like, like trying to find CDs to play on this thing. Right. Cause it, they, they were pretty expensive at the time. This is like back when CDs were still sold in like, you know, flat packs, like to fit in like the vinyl record. Yep. Spot. yep you know yep, what I'm talking about? Yep. <laughs> and I found this CD by the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. And on there was a selection um, by Prokofiev. So go and look up this and listen to it. And it's his Symphony Number no. 5 in B-flat major, Opus 100. Listen to this selection of music and tell me that this didn't influence so many film composers from Bernard Herrmann to Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer, John Williams. Like You can hear these beats in the music that sound like these big films that ended up being made you know, decades later from when this was originally written. Um, I was looking it up. I think, yeah, I would think it was in the early, uh, the mid twenties that this piece was written. Yeah. It reminds me. Can't, can't you hear how it like has uh, influenced other things? Yeah. I mean, it's almost telling a story. You actually want to know where the music is going because it sounds like it's telling a story. Exactly right. That's the thing. And that's the, that by the way, is the thing that I hear like composers like, um, Hans Zimmer talk about like these notes and these melodies talking to each other. I think Michael Giacchino would probably come from that same place as well, like telling a story that you can hear it in the in the in, in the music he composed for Lost. I was like gonna, all these other. I was going to say that, but that was the guy from Lost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about the classical film scores, but I'm going to drop on you a few actual songs that were used in music, like modern popular songs. That to me, when I hear them, I instantly think of certain scenes. And I'm yeah. going to start with the most disturbing one. 
<laughs> okay, lay it on me. And that's Stuck in the Middle with You by Gene Rafferty from Reservoir Dogs. Dude, can have you ever heard a more psychotic juxtaposition <laughs> between the happy music and what's going on? Michael Madsen's cutting a guy's ear off. I see Dude, I see the look on your you face. So right. You're fr- you're freaking out. Dude, it's I cannot <laughs> hear that song without seeing Michael Madsen with a straight razor. Nope, it's impossible. That is forever ingrained on my mind. Anytime I hear that song, I instantly think of that scene from Reservoir Dogs. Stuck in no the middle of you. It's psychotic, Absolutely. dude. And only Tarantino would have thought to use that. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, I, I think it's, is it Roth? I think the actor's last name is Roth. Tim Roth? Tim Roth. He's tied to a chair, and Michael Madsen has got a razor blade, and he's like, toying with him because it's it's a it's a bank robbery movie kind of a mob thing and well, he, i don't think that's tim roth's character i think it's like there's like an undercover cop or something okay yeah something. yeah you're right tim roth is later in the movie but yeah he's, he's, tor- he's watching his character's watching he's tormenting this poor man tied to a chair with a straight razor and he ends up cutting his ear off and the whole time that this song is playing michael madsen is doing this little dean martin frank sinatra rat pack dance with this straight razor around this guy it's freaking psychotic and that music is so tied to that scene that i can't i can't hear it without thinking of that scene i totally agree with you man that's a perfect example of marrying that image to like a a pre-existing song and like kind of defying expectation as well i i've heard uh in articles that like after doing that scene that it definitely disturbed michael madsen for a while like it's so it's so effective in the film, and you're right. There's no way to hear that song and not think of that anymore. Yeah, I mean, actually, my late friend Adam Schumer bought that movie for me on Blu-ray. I should get it out again. It's not a movie I watch a lot because it's gratuitously violent like most Tarantino movies are. It's a great movie, but that scene gives me nightmares. That song... <laughs> It's almost like that's the soundtrack to some jacked up nightmare. Stuck <laughs> in the middle of you. I think that's a perfect example of, of what it is. And you know, there's another um a film like that where like when I hear this song, I instantly think of this movie. And it's not as dark as that. So this is a good juxtaposition. But every time I hear Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith, Jason Confused. Exactly. Oh my I god, yes. Opening yes! credits from Jason Confused. There's no way around it, right? Sweet emotion. You had the bass line going. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, every and- time I'm there in the car with like them, like graduating from high school, starting summer. There's no way around it. I'm thinking of that movie. I would tell people if you want to watch a, a movie that is full of hit songs that will give you instant touch points for for movies, movies, film, for scenes, Dazed and... I can't believe anybody has not seen Dazed and, and, and Confused. It's Sabbath in there, Kiss, Aerosmith. So good. I think, I think there might be some Nazareth in there. It's like every band that was going on in the 70s has got a song on that tra- soundtrack. Amazing, amazing soundtrack. Amazing movie. Yeah, Sweet Amuse... Well, I mean, Richard, Richard Linklater really has a knack for that kind of thing. And I think he's, he, you know... I, he might have started a trend there, like you know, there's like these all these auteurs that were making films around the same time that like effectively used existing music in their films. I mean, you could put Tarantino in that category, 
Linklater is certainly a master of it. Wes Anderson with Mark Mothersburg as his as his music supervisor. Um, Cameron Crowe, like all these films have such a, a dramatic effect of the way that they work music into those scenes where you just can't not think about it when you have to, you know, hear that song. I got another uh, song drop here for you. This We're going to stick with the, the gangster theme here. And House okay. of the Rising Sun at the end of Casino, when Sharon Stone is stumbling out of the hotel room from an OD and Joe Pesci's getting beat to death with a baseball bat in a cornfield. I hear. I think the. I think that's the animals version. You're covering your face. No, I'm just thinking like we should like have a subtitle for this episode where let's spoil every film that we can <laughs> while we talk about the music. Anyway, I love it. Let's go for it. Well, they're not new films. I'm not like telling you the no. end of like the Joker. Speaking of speaking of, there's some there's some Sinatra drops in the Joker. Go watch that. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you about that. Don't you hear that when you hear the House of the Rising Sun, when you hear you see Scorsese's end of casino, it's it's the perfect song to end that movie. It. It's true. Um it's like whenever uh Scorsese uses uh um uh Gimme Shelter. Gimme Shelter. He, he's done that more than once and it's just it's so effective at that spot when that opening guitar riff comes in. It just it's perfect for like whatever he's showing on screen. That's, know? that's the Ray Liotta scene in the end of Goodfellas. That's give me shelter. It's been, I think I, I want to say he's used it at least three times. I think it's in, uh, the departed. I think it's in that movie. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So great. So you, you got another, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those scenes, um, where like, you can't, uh, like you can't divorce, um, the song with the scene is actually from a Cameron Crowe film, uh, almost famous, which is, definitely one of my all-time favorite films is it going to be the tiny dancer scene you nailed it oh my god dude that is a great scene it's got jason lee they're all the i don't want to steal your thunder go ahead and i'll 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 give commentary later that's a great pick well you know if you've ever seen the film um it follows one of the best scenes in the whole movie in my opinion and there's a scene where like um Billy Crudup's character uh, is, and I forget what, uh, Russell, that's his name in the movie. Russell goes to a party, to a, like a local party in this town where they're playing a show, and he and he, he drops uh, acid and ends up on top of the roof of this building um, overlooking a swimming pool. And he's getting ready to jump in the swimming pool, and he raises his hands in the air and says, I am a golden god. I mean, it's like one of the best like ep- scenes in the whole movie. Well, that just kind of like ends up to like his bandmates finding him and pulling him back in and he's at odds with them. And if you remember, there's a scene where they're all sitting on the tour bus and uh, they're all they just hate each other and just upset. And on the radio, Elton John's Tiny Dancer comes on and then one or two people start singing it and it ends with everybody singing along and they all make up and it's just like it's just a simple way to tell the story of like everybody having this friendship and and united around the music you know for this common you know pursuit of what they're doing and it's just like one of these feel-good scenes and like it's just so cool the way it builds every time i hear that song now i think of that scene well what makes it really cool is that it starts with the music and they're all they're all kind of looking off in their own kind of like issues and one of them starts singing uh I don't think I don't think it's Jason Lee's character. One of them starts singing, and by the end of the scene, they're all singing this song. And it's just that's that's a rare case in a movie where the actors sing with the song. I can't think of another scene quite like it. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Where like they they, they sing along with it. 
So what's the kid say? He goes, I need to go home. And 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 what Drew is it? Drew Barrymore? And it's not Drew Barrymore. Who's who's the actress? Uh, Kate Hudson. And she goes, you are home. And it just it warms the cockles of your heart. I don't know if I can say that word on on. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's I think it's one of those scenes in the film where it, like if you were to take one scene to encapsulate the entire film, that would be like a summary of the entire film. Is that scene? Seriously, great scene. I don't know if you're going to be able to top this for sheer absurdity. <laughs> okay. So hold on to your butts. All right. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, the pool scene with Ben Crosby singing, and I'm going to try to pronounce this right, Millie Kalikimaka. When he's when yeah. Chevy Chase is looking out the window and the ukulele starts... And Chevy Chase, this is one of my favorite scenes of any movie, and this song with Ben Crosby, and Cousin Eddie Eddie comes out and is like tidy whities with his tiger or leopard print Speedo over it, and Chevy Chase is like, it's not just the absurdity of the song, it's Chevy Chase's imagination, and he's actually interacting with his imagination, and every time I hear that dang song... I think of Cousin Eddie standing on the diving board with his ridiculous speedo. It's it's a great it's a great scene, dude. It's a great scene. That's one of what a great on a side note, that's my favorite Christmas movie because it's about a dysfunctional family, which we can all relate to, and a dad who loses his temper, which we can at least I can relate to. It's just the absurdity, the absurdity of the music with the with the with what's going on visually just locks it for me as top five all time sync up between between a song and the visuals. I agree, dude, but I think I can top that. Actually, okay, go for, for it. Go for level. it. You ready? Go for okay. it. Okay, American Psycho. Huey Lewis in the news hip to be square while a guy is axe murdered. Oh, dude, that is, oh, that's even more psychotic than the Reservoir Dogs one. Yeah, and you know, you can't separate the once you see that film, you can't not hear <laughs> hip to be square and think of that scene. You know what I'm talking about? That's a dark film, it's and that's outer. it's dark. <laughs> and that's Christian Bale before Batman and before he became right like really super famous. He's just so psychotic in that movie. And you're right. The the Huey Lewis in the news. See, there's, there's something to music. You can, you can play a song. Like if it's a love, like a love rom-com and you're playing, take my breath away or some Kenny G, whatever. But then, to turn that's it not a, Kenny G. That's that's Berlin, man. That's an awesome song. No, but I'm but I'm saying pick pick. <laughs> no, but I'm saying pick pick your song for cheesy love scene or whatever. Sure. Not that sure. the Top Gun scene's cheesy, but but you know what I'm saying. But then turn it on cheesy. its head and find something where you would expect during an axe murder scene you would be playing Dead Skin Mask from Slayer or. <laughs> I think of I think of Zombieland where they're playing for whom the bell tolls and there's all those slow motion zombies running through the streets. But yeah. pick a happy song for a psychotic murder scene. Well, it's genius too because like the song is like an encapsulation of of you know in a way all the philosophies that Patrick Bateman, the character that he's playing, 
kind of stands for and like is against like if you like i'm not going to get super into it but if you dig into like why that song and what the movie's actually saying it's it's super deep and 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 awesome and at the, but on the surface level it still serves that thing where you're like this is a weird mashup. Like it's like, you know, that scene where like Buffalo Bill is dancing in silence of the lambs. Like what song is that that plays on that scene? I can't remember, but whatever it oh, is, it's like, Oh yeah. So it puts the lotion on its skin. Yeah, dude. It's like, it's, yeah. it should be some kind of psycho music. Like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> right. But there's something to be said. And I guess we could, we could do a whole show. We'd have to dig it, do a deep dive on, on songs that are intentionally set to horrific scenes, which with, with happy music, it's just. Well, and you can also even go down a path of like, are you familiar with the term? Like if something is, is diegetic, you know, it's like this idea that if you have a song where the lyrics of the song or the message song kind of lines up with what the visuals are on the screen. Like I remember reading about, there's a film by Sofia Coppola called somewhere. And like all the songs that were chosen for that film somehow correlate with what's happening with the characters. Not so much like a like a like a musical where they're singing their feelings or their thoughts, but the idea of the song, you know, fits what's actually happening on screen. You know, it's, instead of just being like a weird you know, juxtaposition. So that's like a whole other thing too, which is pretty cool. Well, I would say the same thing for the Reservoir Dog song, Stuck in the Middle yeah. of You. It's about a guy who can't get away from somebody who's trying to murder him. It's, yeah. It's comical. It's almost like if you would put It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood to like Ed Gein. You know what I'm saying? It's It's just... Yeah. It's... It takes a psychotic genius to to merge, and I'm doing my fingers and merging the two there <laughs> together. But this is why I love well, that. This is why I love this podcast. So, what I would like to tell our listeners, because I know we have listeners, we know we have, I know we have fans, people that like the show. Why don't you send us your favorite, either a film score, b soundtrack, or what I'm really looking for is a, is a song to a disturbing scene that is happy. <laughs> that's what really, that's what's yeah. really going to ring my bell. Now you're going to have to dig deep to tape decks at gmail.com or facebook.com slash two tape decks message us. I guarantee you, you'll get a shout out on the show. Guarantee you. We'll read your name and the song of your choice on the show. Can you, can you get behind me, Sam? I'm totally behind that. That's a great idea. Send it in. I don't you know. It's one of the things be, before we stop this thing with movie too. Like I don't know if you had another thing that you wanted to go to just there. Was there no, I, was, I was. I was saying I don't know how we're going to top this, so we should find a way to wrap it up because I'm pretty damn impressed with our <laughs> our selections. Well, we talked about a lot of movies and a lot of music. You know, we'll have to listen back and see if it was worth listening to or not. I think it was. I think we talked about some interesting stuff. But you know what? There's one thing that we left out. What's that? And it's movies that leave music out. Oh, dude, we I think give me one example. Like we may we may do a whole whole show on this, but give me give me an example of what you're talking about. And I think I know where you're I going. Can you, I can give you two right away that 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 pop into my mind. Okay, and see if this sparks a memory for you. I'm talking about movies that the score is significant because of its lack of music. Right, I can think of and one the off the top one, of my head. There you go. See, the first one I think of 
is uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, great pull. Because the music is so sparse. I mean, you got the B.J. Thomas song when they're riding the bike, but there's not a whole lot else in that movie. It's weird. It's like it, it, it when they do raindrops keep falling on my head. They're like riding on a on a bicycle together. It's like a, it just kind of seems out of nowhere, but it works because there's been no other music to that point. Just kind of letting it be sparse. This western. There's a couple of spots where like scene changes happen. I think there's a Sergio Mendes in the Brazil '66 song on one part too when they go to Argentina from Brazil. I think so. It's been a while since I've seen it, but. Uh, um, so that was one. And then so be, because of the lack of it, when the music comes in, it makes it even more effective. The other one, though, that I think of is um, uh, this film called Tender Mercies. I'm not familiar Robert with that When You mentioned this earlier. I, I'm not familiar with this one. Um, it's definitely uh, worth watch. I, I just it's actually probably one of my favorite films. It's got and, Robert um, Duvall in it, you said, which I love him. We've already referenced to Godfather. He was in that. That's right. I mean, you can't go wrong with a Robert Duvall film. Like, you're always going to get what you pay for with him. Like, he always sells it, right? He always digs in. And this was a film, came out, I want to say it came out in 83. And it's all about, like, this character who um, is, like, a, a washed-up country western singer, songwriter, right? And he's he found himself at the bottom of a bottle, basically. So there's it's, so, it's such a stark film. It takes place in... Um, Texas out you know in the flat part of Texas with like very little trees and it's like wide open spaces and so it kind of ma- like the lack of music mimics mimics the vibe of the film but the times that do have music is when people are actually are songwriters or performers singing songs or playing songs in the film which is going to reinforce the theme I just think it's just really effective the way that works definitely worth a watch well maybe we'll do another show on this but I'm just going to drop just for the hell of it, Cast Away. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. The, the music is non-existent pretty much until he leaves the island. He gets on the boat, if I'm not mistaken. There's there's some Elvis in the beginning of the movie, and there's some other like drops in the early part. But the reason that movie is so effective is, A, Tom Hanks is a master actor, and yep. B... There's no music distracting you from the sounds of the beach, the sound of him breathing, the sand. Yep. It's it's so good. It's so good. So maybe we'll do a whole a whole other show on that. I guess we could I think we could find some material for that. But I feel like this has been a show that I'm proud of because I feel like we've done a deep dive on some movies and I feel like we've both come up with some stuff that's going to make people go Hmm. Let me think. And like I was talking to my lady upstairs and she had one. And I'm just gonna say this. Naomi came up with this one. I can't believe I didn't come up with it. Moon River. Right. Moon River on Breakfast at oh. Tiffany's. How the hell did I forget that mo- that song? That's a great example. I can't hear Moon River. It doesn't matter who's singing it, Sinatra, Hepburn, whoever, without thinking of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Great film. Love that song. In fact, that was kind of the 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 spark of us getting back together musically was can we do Moon River? It it begs the the question. I don't know if we can, but that was the spark <laughs> like maybe we can do some stuff together. So, yeah, like I said, send us your emails, send us your questions for two tape decks and a mixing board. I'm Jay Mack and I'm Sam Wade. Saying until next week.
Stay, Stay Cosmic. cosmic.